three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff. Liftoff. Americans return to space as Discovery clears the tower. Welcome to Simply Youth Podcast. New episode every Friday on Spotify and more platforms. So my name is Maya Nasser. I'm currently a PhD student at MIT studying aerospace engineering. Um, I've been involved uh, in multiple projects relating to space in the last seven years. Um, and for now, I'm currently working on NASA's Mars 2020 Perseverance rover mission that has just landed on Mars last month. Um, and I'm working specifically on one of its payloads called MOXIE, which, which stands for the Mars Oxygen ISRU experiment. And its really main goal is to help prepare for future human exploration of Mars. So during your undergraduate study at MIT, you studied airspace, uh, aeronautical and astronautical engineering. Was studying aerospace engineering a bold decision as it is not as popular in Lebanon? And did you experience any imposter syndrome since you didn't have the resources or opportunities that domestic students had? Yeah, so I mean, you could consider aerospace engineering as a bold decision. I, I think um, it's the main challenge of it is in Lebanon, you do not have the opportunity to pursue such a major, such an area of study. I think there are some availabilities for being able to study astrophysics or things relating to that, but also at a very initial level, not to the level of extent you can um, um, uh, do in other countries outside um, of Lebanon. So uh, studying aerospace engineering was not exactly what I had in mind when I started working. I was always you know, interested in space in general. I didn't know exactly I'm going to be doing aerospace engineering or something relating to rocket science it started by maybe doing astrophysics or doing things relating to that uh, but coming to MIT and seeing the opportunities available here um, I think it was a, a, a hard to miss option for me not to choose aerospace engineering to see the number of missions and opportunities you can get involved with in this field and at the same time learn about the other fields relating to space while I'm doing that um, in terms of your question about you know resources uh, and imposter syndrome five to that that is of course um uh, what happened because you know coming from lebanon we all have a really strong theoretical background in sciences and mathematics and all that because we have a very heavily oriented french system that is really heavily um, um, um oriented towards the theory side of things but i've never built a thing before I, I left lebanon like i've never been involved in real engineering i've never done coding before it was kind of like coming to the first year of MIT, everyone's already an expert in everything. And you're like, okay, maybe it was a mistake of me coming here. And then afterwards you feel this imposter syndrome, the, hey, everyone around me, and I'm used to being in Lebanon, like the top student. And I came here and everyone around me suddenly is like the smartest person in the world. And you just feel the difference and you don't feel as special as you thought you were. Um, but that really pushes you because MIT's environment is not really competitive in a sense, it's more collaborative. So you don't have the ranking system and people you know, competing to um, um, get certain ranks. It's mostly people collaborating and everyone's doing some awesome you know, mission work on their own. So it really pushes you to see what other people are doing and to really um, ex extend the, the limits of what you thought you were gonna do. So it's, it's great in that sense. Um, it helps you get over the imposter syndrome um, that you might have. By the way, what's really interesting is that me and Mahmoud and Lilia met because of MIT. So there was this mm -hmm. high school research program we all joined. And it was, yeah, it was, I had the same feeling there because we went there, I, each one of us had to write a research paper, right? 
and like not, none of us had like that much background so i had to mm-hmm. talk about nuclear engineering right i had nothing yeah. zero zero knowledge about that everyone else there has written written research papers has publications exactly. or, or like won some exactly. national olympiads very different yeah but yeah it's like people there are amazing honestly from my just curious method. when did you guys go which summer was that i went oh. in 2019 so lilian okay. mahmoud this year so it's virtual it's called the research okay. science institute that's awesome I'm, yeah. I'm really glad you guys are doing that this is such a great opportunity yeah, just to have on your resume in general and then to work with it so i'm really glad you're doing that yeah. okay for the next question you've talked multiple times about limitations imposed mm-hmm. on visas for foreign workers and students these concerns were even more alarming after the decision that foreign students with an online only course load would not be allowed to come to the us can you expand on those limitations and the difficulties you face Um, as you guys all know, if you only have a Lebanese passport, that really very much limits any opportunities you get, whether you just really want to travel somewhere or you just want to work on any opportunity or project. So um, it's definitely been very difficult, um, you know, having only this passport and being able to um, contribute to the space sector in the U.S. But specifically in the last few years um, with various administrations um, um, uh, happening in the U.S., it has been not the most welcoming environment for international students in general in all fields. So it's been very difficult for foreign nationals um, to come to the U.S., whether for uh, work visas, whether for student visas, whether for any different opportunities. So one of the things I've been most passionate about is to really advocate for international students and foreign nationals all around, especially after the things that happened last year, which we got a series of really literally nonstop uh, new rules and regulations that just, you know, um, um, uh, mess up the way students have planned their plans to finish their degrees, have planned their um, career paths, have been able to get opportunities after. And really, this all limits the opportunities um, in the U.S. to grow because some of the best, you know, the, the foreign talents in the U.S. are one of the major pushes in the economy in the U.S. So, It was one of the main things that was very challenging, especially over the last year. Um, And generally, when we talk more specifically on the aerospace engineering field, and when you're talking about things like what you mentioned, nuclear engineering, or things relating to topics that are more considered could be weaponized or could be on the part that is on the defense or secretive um, parts of the U.S., you've got a lot of regulations that are additional and added to students. And on top of that, you've got a list of countries which are called uh, restricted countries, basically, uh, ITAR restricted countries, which are basically countries that are either um, have, you know, terrorist threats in the U.S. or um, embargo via U.S. or things like that. And Lebanon has unfortunately made it to that this a few years ago. So uh, this has kind of, you know, been the biggest challenge for me in the aerospace industry, because any project you want to get involved with, you are basically in a list of countries that your passport defines everything you're getting access to. As a PhD student, you're working with Professor Jeffrey Hoffman on the Morris Oxygen Institute Resource Utilization Experiment, or MOXIE, for NASA Jet Propulsion Labs Morris 2020 mission. <laughs> Can you talk us through this experiment? How optimistic are you of its success? And what were the main challenges you personally faced during your work? So um, the Mars Oxygen ICRU experiment, MOXIE, is a technology demonstration that is currently aboard the Mars 2020 rover um, on Mars. And the idea behind it is it is one of the first or most important crucial ways to prepare for future human exploration of Mars. If we want to send people to Mars, um, astronauts in the future, we want those astronauts to be able to breathe. 
And we also want to be able to get those astronauts back to Earth, which involves putting them on a Mars ascent vehicle that takes them from the surface of Mars up to orbit, then takes them there through another spacecraft back to Earth. But in order to do all that, you need a lot of oxygen, which basically you have to carry with you all the way from Earth and take it all the way to Mars to support both sides, the, the propellant part, basically the, the fuel and oxidizer, to be able to get those astronauts off the surface of Mars to Earth, but also for them to be able to breathe over there. So in order to do that, this involves billions and billions of dollars um, if you're sending a crew up to Mars. So what we're trying to do in our experiment is, how about in taking everything with us from Earth, let's try to produce this off land. Let's try to go to Mars, see what resources we have on Mars and try to use them. You can think about it as if, if you're going backpacking, if you had to basically carry everything with you before you leave, you can't go for long because you are limited by how much you can carry. However, if you can fend on your way and go fishing and get things on your way, you can last for a lot longer. So it's a very similar concept if you think about it that way. But what we're trying to do basically, the atmosphere and uh, Mars, is greater than 95, 95% oxygen, percent oxygen. So because we have this abundance of oxygen, of sorry, carbon dioxide, not oxygen, uh, of carbon dioxide, because we have this abundance of carbon dioxide in the Martian atmosphere, it makes sense for us to be able to use this CO2 and produce oxygen out of it. So MOXIE is a technology demonstration moment that takes the CO2 through a process called solid oxide electrolysis and produce oxygen. And this would be scaled up in future missions to support human missions to Mars. But this is the first time we were able to use ISRI technologies to produce oxygen on the surface of any different planet. Very exciting. And the data so far has been great. So uh, we were very excited for the next transit, next steps on Mars. Um, this year has been particularly challenging in this uh, in the work in this field because of the pandemic, as you all know. Um, lockdowns and shutdowns of laboratories all across has been really challenging to be able to, you know, finish experimental studies, be able to um, do hardware testings and do all the experiments we were planning to do before launch and before landing. So it has definitely pushed a bit our timelines in, uh, in being able to finish experimental, uh, certain experimental studies that we wanted to have done. Uh, so that has been one of the main challenges, but because NASA had the Mars 2020 mission as one of the top priorities, because if it wasn't able to launch this year, you would have to push it for two years ahead. Um, luckily, we were able to launch and land on time, so that has not been delayed. Uh, but this has been one of the main COVID challenges, in addition to definitely the challenges I talked about before, um, uh, on my side, being able to access a lot of the things with a Lebanese passport um, and being able to, you know, fully integrate myself into the mission rather than being having restrictions um, on certain, you know, websites and data and opportunities and being able to work on certain things. Can you talk us through about the data analysis, like simulation and the calibration of the data? Like how exactly yeah. are you like simulating the experiment, testing it out? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, when I first started getting involved in Moxie way earlier, like four years ago, the initial parts which we were trying to do is modeling, basically created a model of uh, Moxie in order to be able to test everything on these models um, and simulate that before we send it to Mars in order to make sure everything we're doing is okay. But at the same time, one of the main things you want to do in any flight mission is to calibrate and characterize the hardware you're sending. 
because a lot of this hardware was you know created for operations on earth conditions earth-like conditions so we really don't know exactly how they're going to operate on mars and the way we've been doing the calibration a series of experiments repurpose either individual parts or the full system and vacuum chambers and in these vacuum chambers we can basically simulate Martian operating conditions, either by uh, uh, putting the pressure at a really low pressure near vacuum um, to test out our hardware or to simulate various pressures and temperatures that we expect on Mars. And these temperatures and pressures vary between night and day, vary between seasons. Um, and we were trying to simulate a lot of these in our hardware testing. On top of that, we also simulate, not myself, there was other part of the team, simulate you know, experiments on dust. Because as you know, the Martian atmosphere and the Martian air has a lot of dust storms. And um, uh, there is a lot of dust that needs to be filtered before we can use the air and atmosphere on Mars. So there has been a lot of experiments that were really targeted towards um, testing the hardware that we have and see if it's robust in terms of dust or if we have a dust storm and all that. So that has been partly the, the testing side for calibrations, characterizations, and making sure our experiments or our hardware is robust enough to operate on Mars and that we understand the readings we're getting out of Mars versus what we get versus what it actually means when we calibrate it. In terms of um, downlink, so it's been extremely exciting. Um, I'm currently the downlink lead for Moxie, the payload downlink lead. So we're all involved in the team, not all part of us are involved in uh, Mars surface operations, which means we want to operate this hardware that we have on Mars by basically being able to send commands up to Mars, which we call uplink, and do the downlink, which is when we get the data from Mars uh, through the deep space network and certain ant antennas back to Earth. So I'm leading the part of the downlink, which basically involves us taking the data that we get from the rover that goes into um, NASA's drive, JPL's drive, and getting it to our own um, data repository, changing it from raw data products that we get from the rover, to units that we understand. We call them engineering units that we calibrate them. Basically, you get voltages now in units of volts, currents and, and units of, uh, of, of currents, all of that and the units you expect. And you have to, as part of the operations that you do on downlink, take this data, do all these changes and conversions, plot everything, analyze it, and report any errors, anomalies, make sure we have run correctly, uh, we have not tripped any faults or anything like that, and report all that to the team and to NASA JPL in a very limited time frame, which is normally about an hour or less, to do all that. Um, so it's a very you know, stressful role, but at the same time, it's extremely incredible to be the first person to be able to you know, open the data that we're getting from Mars and plot it and be able to look at it. So that has been very exciting um, in terms of the role that I think it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to be involved in uh, Mars surface operations for our uh, MOXIE experiment on Mars. So this is just a general sense. And one fun fact, um, Right now, we are operating all of our surface operations on Mars time, which means most of the time our shifts for work are all at night because we are trying to operate Mars time, as in we want to run at the daytime on Mars, 
which is on a time difference than we have on Earth. So we've been a bit nocturnal for a lot of our um, uh, time shifts. We've been just like staying up all night, working, sleeping during the day. Uh, it has definitely shifted our schedules quite a bit, but it's, it's really exciting and it's definitely worth the, the, the experience for now. As I mentioned, since I've been subjected to a lot of limitations having a Lebanese passport, I've been always passionate about a more representative space sector. So I've been really always interested to see the space sector representing countries that are not just the major spacefaring countries. Because, and I, I, I say that before, it's kind of our slogan to our project, we want space to be a space for everyone. We want space to be a space for countries, for all people to be as representative as possible. So what we're trying to do, if you guys know about the golden record, which was sent all the way back in Voyager, uh, the idea behind it was to collect um, uh, uh, texts and to collect uh, music and video, not as in like photos and uh, information that really represents humanity and have that sent to space basically for aliens if they find it to be able to see or have a glimpse of what humanity is like. After this whole challenging year with COVID-19, um, uh, my partner Lydia and I um, and this project thought that the pandemic that hit all countries around the world was one of the main things that united all countries. We were all subjected to this outside thing that made us all unite because if any country has any more cases that's going to go to the other country and it became such a global thing that we're all united to basically defeat or be able to survive this virus so it was one of the things that reminded us that we need at this point in time to remind people or remind countries that we should be united that we should be working together the same way we should work together to be able to survive and 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 get over this pandemic period we need to do that for other um, um, uh, areas as well, including space, because I'm very passionate about peaceful use of outer space. So what we're trying to do is basically create a new version of the Golden Record inspired project in order to collect codes and collect audios and um, information from people all around the world and be able to use nanotechnology to nano etch at MIT, to nano etch all of these codes and information on a record or on a new inspired by a golden record really um, uh, project, but now to be sent to the International Space Station to be able to use space as an avenue to represent all countries and to send this message, these codes and information collected are gonna be codes about peace, love, and unity from all people around the world and all languages. And we want to be able to use that and send this message of unity and global representation from the International Space Station. Uh, one thing that we know, International Space Station is one of the really rare opportunities that multiple countries have collaborated to have such a spacecraft and, and around orbiting Earth. By the same time, they are the basic spacefaring countries that are being involved in this mission. USA, China, you know, um, um, Russia, Japan, uh, Italy. This is the international space representation so far has not really been representative of global countries. We don't have like the majority of countries are not really represented up there. So it's kind of one of those things that we wanted to try to use this as a platform. Um, the, the project is hope, hope to launch in um, end of 2021, beginning of 2022, um, up to the International Space Station. It is not a scientific payload. It is purely a, a, a message informing payload that really represents humanity and sends a message that we want to send um, um, to people around the world. 
but you know, growing up in Lebanon, you are kind of forced to be interested in politics because anything you do really is defined by politics. So I've always had this interest inside me in, in politics and international relations on top of the engineering. But one of the best intersections between the aerospace engineering field and this field is to really be involved based on politics and policy. Uh, and I think because I'm very passionate about, you know, space disarmament and peaceful use of outer space, one of the big things that you see right now is the worry that I get when old countries are using their resources to weaponize space or to protect each other from someone weaponizing space. And instead of using all these resources to really go and explore space and to really go to different planets and answer the questions we want and do all this peaceful exploration that really, what makes people space is curiosity of understanding what's going on. We are putting all of our resources in the wrong direction. You know, the amount of money that goes into the defense sector of space and all countries is just incredibly way off what goes into the science and the engineering, which is very and very disturbing for me at least. And right now, the one of the biggest problems is if you see um, the current treaties from the Outer Space Treaty and multiple other UN treaties, it's been really hard to find um, an international level treaty that is able to promote peaceful use of outer space because most of the treaties are non-binding or don't have the proper number of signatories from the proper space countries that are being involved. Um, you also don't have ability to put liability on the countries or if someone does something wrong, it's really hard to hold them accountable or to see what they're doing. But that being said, again, um, it's really hard to predict what's gonna happen next, especially because of lack of communication between different countries. So each country basically is assuming the worst of the other country. If someone launches a satellite, that is literally for scientific reasons. The other country is just going to think of it by the other dual use of it that this could be used as a weapon. And due to this lack of communication between different countries, it's it's really hard to have achieved a treaty that involves you know, resolving everything. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Simply Youth Podcast for more content.